Well, I'm excited to start a new series today, four-week-long series called Making Change. And this series is about everybody's favorite subject to talk about in church, finances. And uh, some of you might already groan or go, oh, no, not this again. Well, um, it's been a while since I talked about it. Let me say that. And um, in that case, I always try to give a little spiel, and I, I don't always give it, I guess, but I will today because it's been a while. And in case anyone's here who hasn't heard this, I want you to know, um, I know that a lot of people are put off when ministers talk about money. And I think the reason for that is we have all seen uh, guys dressed up in robes, proclaiming to be ministers and claiming to be pastors of churches, and really it seemed like they were just running some sort of a a con scheme to get money. They were using the gospel of Jesus to get rich. And that's so off-putting. And it's so enraging that I totally understand why a lot of people, anytime a pastor talks about money, the blood pressure starts to go up and they thought, oh, I came to church and he's going to talk about money. I knew this is all the church was into. I knew this is what pastors were all about. Well, let me say a, a couple things about that. Um, ben, neither Ben nor myself, live in mansions. Neither Ben nor myself have Rolexes. Neither Ben nor myself have brand new cars. Our current uh, car that we love uh, dearly is my 2003 Ford Focus with over 200,000 miles, and I'm going to rock that baby till she's dead. Uh, so, um, if trust me, if there was a way Ben and I were getting rich off of this, my car would not have 200,000 miles on it. Um, if you uh, are curious about it, um, I'll show you my pay stubs, Ben, we'll show you that stuff, to show you that we don't get paid on commission. When the offering's high, we don't get a little bonus or anything. We never touch the money. We never see the money. If you want to know how the money is handled here, I'll show you that too, because we have a lot of checks and balances that says nobody here is touching or trying to steal your money or get rich off of you. So the reason I am preaching this is not so I can get your money or anybody here can get your money. The reason I want to talk about this today is because I think God has something to say about this particular area of our lives. He has a lot to say about it. And there's something inside of us that makes finances or money or the stuff that we can buy with money, it makes that whole area of our lives notoriously difficult to surrender to God. There is something about that category that just really wants to cling to our hearts. And I think that's the reason why Jesus talked about money and stuff and the hold it can have on us more than heaven and more than hell. Two undeniably really important topics. And Jesus decided, I got limited time to do my ministry. I'm going to still talk about finances and money more than those two hugely important things. And so I think God has something to say to you. But like I said, this is one of those topics where if, if, if stuff and money has kind of a hold on you, you're going to really want to just ignore everything I'm going to say. You're going to say, ah, I don't need to hear about that. Or you'll think, this is so unrealistic. Nobody lives this way. That sounds great for a sermon. you got all your points lined up, and everything starts with a P or whatever you think the sermons are going to be. That sounds good to preach, but that's not practical. That's not how people live. But I still would challenge you that if you do feel any resistance in your heart to this, if there's anything in you that makes you think, this is not for me, I would take that as an indication that maybe you need to listen. That maybe you need to at least Set the anger or the hostility that you feel or the hesitation that you feel off to the side and just think, maybe God wants to say something to me. That's all I want you to open yourself up to. I don't want you to open yourself up to giving me all your money. I don't want you to open yourself up to giving everything you own to the church. I just want you to open yourself to the fact that maybe, just maybe, God has something to say to you about this one particular area. 
And it could be a powerful thing that he wants to show you. Because one thing I've learned in my life is that God's way is always better. So as we go through this series, every, there's four weeks, and we're going to do one point each and every week. One point each and every week, and I'll tell you all right now, we got these little circle icons to kind of indicate them. The first one, the green one, which we're going to talk about today, is that less is actually more. Less is more. Week two, next week, we'll talk about stress is bad. Week three, we'll talk about how giving is good. And in the last week, we'll talk about how tomorrow matters. So less is more. Stress is bad. Giving is good. And tomorrow matters. Those are the, all the points that we're going to talk about this in this series. Now today, less is more. Sounds like a contradiction, right? Because if you've ever had a math class, you're like, no, Anthony, more is more. That's just how numbers work. That's how that's just how it is, you know? And I've lived my whole life, and maybe you have too, thinking that more is more. If one is good, two is better. If two is good, three is better. More is always better. If you got one car, it'd be even better to have two, right? If you got one kid, might as well have three, you know, or four or five or however many you got, you know? You know, we think one is good, three must be better, you know? So that's how we kind of operate on this understanding that more is always better. And so we, get more, we want more money, we try to get more clothes, we try to get more toys, try to get more stuff. And it's gotten to a ridiculous point for a lot of us. Let's, we, let's be a little honest here that sometimes the more in our lives has piled up to a ridiculous amount. Because some of you, you don't just have walk-in closets for your clothes. You have, like, stroll-around closets for your clothes. And then you filled that up, and so now you got boxes of extra clothes in your garage. And some of you got so many extra boxes of clothes and stuff in your garage that that nice little house for your car that you built, it can't even fit your car anymore. Um, I was talking to somebody a while ago when we cleaned out our garage, and somebody said, wow, you got your van in there. And I said, I know, I'm so excited. And they said, it's been 15 years since our van got covered up by our garage. And it's like, that's how it is. And then some of you, you got your garage so full that you had to rent a piece of storage property from another individual to start storing your more off-site. Like, that, we're getting a little silly, right, when our homes can't even contain all the clothes that we will never, ever wear again. And I hate to break it to you, but I know you're still clinging to the hope that that polyester leisure suit's one day going to come back in style. I don't think it is. I think, it, I think the days of that have sailed into the wind, and maybe that's, uh, no, that is definitely for the better. <laughs> definitely for the better. Now, I remember when I learned the lesson that more is not always more, that more is not always better. I was a kid, and my mom had went to visit my grandparents for the day. They lived about an hour away. And she called to say, hey, when I come home, I'm going to bring KFC. Great. And I said, hey, can you get me a tub of mashed potatoes and gravy? I remember specifically requesting not just, like, the little scoop they're going to put in that little tiny one. I wanted, like, the bigger one, you know, of mashed potatoes and gravy. And so she said, yeah, sure. And so she comes home. We spread out all the food on the table. We all sit down to eat. And my brother reaches over to grab the mashed potatoes and gravy, and I remember saying, hey, that's mine, and I grabbed it. Now, you know, I mean, a tub of mashed potatoes and gravy, there's room, you know, for more, like, that's a dense package, right? There was plenty of mashed potatoes, but I said, no, them's my taters, and I grabbed it, and my dad pounced on this opportunity to teach me an important lesson, and he said, that's fine. They can all be yours, but you're going to sit there until you finish that whole container. <laughs> Here's the funny part, ready? I thought, I win. I can't believe he took my side. I can't believe I get all the mashed potatoes and gravy. 
What a bunch of suckers. That's exactly what I wanted. And dad let me have it. This is great. I thought it was awesome. Until after the first hour of sitting at the table, and I hadn't made it even through a quarter of the mashed potatoes and gravy. You know, and at first you're like, yeah. And then it's just, oh, yeah, oh, no. And, you know. And I remember, I say first hour, by the way, because I was there for at least two and a half hours. And there was that point where I think, you know what? I think this was a trap. And... <laughs> And I start eating and eating. And fi- I never did even make it halfway through the container when my, finally my dad came in and asked me if I got the idea. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah please, don't like, make me eat any more mashed potatoes. I can't do it anymore. But, but he taught me the lesson. That, you know, I thought more, more, more. was I'm going to eat the whole thing. I wanted to hog it all for myself. And that was so silly. And so my dad said, you want more? You're going to get more. And it was not in, at all better. And so... As we go through this topic, I know that there's a little bit of an uphill battle today because when you say that more is not always better, that's a little bit of what we think the American dream is all about, and that's kind of what we base our lives on, the accumulation of more, and that's, that more means success, and, and nicer things mean success. And so I know I'm going, like, kind of attacking that a little bit here with this message, and it's a hard thing to learn, but I promise you that as God teaches it, Less can sometimes be more. And so we're going to look at a couple of verses today. Um, two of them are just small little proverb-type verses, little short kind of pithy sayings that um, don't worry about turning necessarily unless you really want to follow along in your Bibles, but we're going to hit them pretty quick here. The first one is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 3. And these were both written, the, the two passages we're going to look at first, were both written by a guy named Solomon who supposedly was so rich and so incredibly wise that he kind of set out in life to try everything and to say, I'm going to try everything and just see what works. I'm going to see what brings me happiness. I'm going to see what brings me success in life. I'm just going to see what brings me fulfillment. He just wanted to try it all. And so these are statements by a guy who has tried it all. And he also was a guy who was incredibly, incredibly wealthy. And he's still saying these particular things. So you think you got more? You ain't got nothing on Solomon, okay? So he said this. Better is a handful. Better is one handful, a handful with quietness, or of quietness, than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Better is one than two. Less is better than more. And the point he's trying to make is that it's better to have a little and have a peaceful life, a quiet life, a life without a lot of uh, struggle and hectic, this hectic pace of go, 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 get, get, get. One handful of quietness, of peace, of contentment is better than two hands full and a striving after the wind. And the way he says striving after wind is because there comes a point, if your mindset is more is better, then you're always going to be chasing more. And you think, I'm going to get to this spot where I think, oh good, I've got enough. But you don't ever get to that spot. And if you keep working, 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 getting, 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 until you think you get to the spot where you're satisfied and you feel like you had enough, you will never get there. That is not a goal that you can ever grab hold of. He said it's like going outside and trying to catch a handful of wind. You can feel it, you know it's out there, but every time you reach for it, your hands end up empty. Better is one hand with a peaceful, satisfied, content life than two hands full where you're going and going and going, just trying to fill those hands constantly. And the, the meaning here, the thing he wants to show us is that there is a cost to all that striving. 
When you try to get two hands, there's a cost to having two hands over one. When you go for two, sometimes you lose something that you had in your life that was beautiful when you had one. And he goes on in another proverb, in Proverbs 17.1, that shows us kind of what that cost might be. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A dry morsel is probably that stale, old, crusty leftover. He says, better is that nasty, stale heel of bread than a table full of food, a refrigerator full of food, a freezer full of food. That nasty, old, crusty piece of bread in a peaceful house is better than all the stuff, all the food in a house where you can't get along with the people that you supposedly love. And he shows us there's a cost to all the striving. That sometimes when you go out to get more and more and more, sometimes that costs you the time you should be investing in good, healthy relationships with those that you love. And so when you have more, he says, sometimes when you get more, your house is full of struggle and fighting and bickering and and chaos because of the relationships going bad from neglect. But when you have one piece of bread, you can be satisfied. That can be better. One nasty little dry morsel, dried out, Stale thing can be better when your house is peaceful because you've invested in the right places. Because in the effort to get more, we often sacrifice the time and energy necessary that we should be pouring in to those that we love. And this is just one. There's several verses that start off this way. Better is. And they show us the cost of having more and more and more. And so sometimes, as, as in God's economy, less is actually more because you might have less stuff, less money, but you actually have more of the other things that truly, truly matter. And both of these verses want you to think about the cost of more. They want you to think about your priorities. What is actually better? They both start with that. Better is. They're trying to guide you to something better. And that is the question that you have to ask and I have to ask, is that what is actually better in our lives what is actually better because the normal thing to do the regular thing to do is just to get more and it's interesting how that is it's funny like I think about coming into ministry you know the thing I was always told growing up or well not growing up uh, but kind of when I was going into Bible college is that be prepared to be broke forever like that was just always like the understood minister's lifestyle you know you're gonna be wearing uh, bags for clothes and you're gonna have you know uh, nasty old shoes with holes in the bottom. You're never going to be able to feed your family. That's kind of what the picture was painted. Um, but then I learned and actually interned at, at churches and, and, and visited churches where it didn't seem like that had to be the case. And I saw a couple guys, I'm like, you're doing pretty okay for being a minister, man. That's all right. And I kind of got this idea that, oh, you can just climb the ladder like at every other career until you get more and more and more and more. And it's just this idea that pervades our culture and pervades every area of life that more is better. But is it? Is the cost of more worth it? And so we've got to kind of be people that ask this question, what is better? Now, if I were to give you all pieces of paper with three blanks on it and say, write down the top three things that matter more to you than everything else, the top three things that you want to have in your life above everything else, what would you write? What are the things that are most important to you? Um, One thing being a pastor has granted me is the gift of spending time with people who knew that their time on earth was short. And I call that a gift because it is a blessing when you get to spend time with somebody that knows they've got three months to live, six months to live, 
because they are gifted with incredible clarity about what really matters. They have clarity that you and I can only hope for. And I'll tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll tell you things I've never heard anyone on their deathbed ever say. No one on their deathbed has ever said to me, Anthony, oh, how I wish I could go back and run my hands across my granite countertops one last time. Nobody has ever once said to me, oh, how I wish I would have lived long enough to see that next iPhone. So sad. No one has ever said, Anthony, you know, I dreamed all my life of redoing that living room and putting shiplap every square inch of that living room. And I'm so upset that I'm not going to live to see that day. I can only hope that heaven is full of shiplap as far as the eye can see. The way Joanna Gaines would intend it. I've never had anybody, yeah, I know, I watch Fixer Upper. Who doesn't, right? right. Um, I've never seen anybody say, why, why didn't I spend more time at work filling out papers and forms? Nobody says that stuff. Why? Because when time is short, you see what matters. And we all know what matters, right? If we really had to put it down, we would say things like, God, my spouse, my kids, my brothers, my sisters, my family, my friends. It's the people, the relationships around us. We know what's important, and yet I would almost venture to say that some of you, the next goal you're reaching for is a remodel, a newer car, a newer thing, a better job, with more money. I mean, we, that's what our goals tend to be, even though we know, honestly, that our priorities are people and relationships and serving God to the best of our ability. But we don't line up what we're doing with our everyday life with what we know to be true. And it's interesting why we make those foolish choices. And so we have to decide, you and me, we all have to decide what is actually better. Is it really better to have more money and more stuff? You know, I, I wonder about the things sometimes that make life worth living. Because I, I mean, I, I admit it, I'm a, I love stuff. And I love more money. I like the security that you get when you get enough money in the bank. I like uh, the, the peace that comes when you can pay all your bills on time. I like getting something new. I love gadgets and gizmos and tech stuff galore. I love that stuff. And, and so, I, I, I mean, I'm the, I am the guy that I'm, I might be that guy that says on his deathbed, wish I could see that next iPhone before I go. I'm, I really am that guy, okay? And I know it. But we've all got to ask, are those the things that make life worth living? What is really better? Is it, would I rather have the stuff or the people? Would I ha rather have a never-ending grind for more? Or would I rather know that I spent my time helping people and serving God's purpose so that my life would matter and make a difference that lasts beyond my few short years? And again, we know the right answer to this question. And so Jesus, in, in the New Testament, he, he kind of lays this out in a very clear way for us at the beginning of a parable that he teaches in Luke chapter 12. And I'm not going to read the parable this week. I'm just going to read Jesus' intro to it, which is a, it's kind of an interesting situation. He says, or it writes, Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this guy that's calling out to Jesus, Mom and Dad have passed away. Probably his older brother is the one to handle how the money gets divided out. An older brother says, I think I'll just hold on to it all. Forget you, little brother. And so he says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my fair share. You know, a little bit of that. And he's right, okay? Let's just say that, right? He's right. If he's a brother, he should get something, right? And Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Like, I'm not, 
there's plenty of other people that can figure this out. I'm God. You're bringing this little thing to me? Come on, figure it out, man. And so, but then Jesus says to the crowd, using this guy's situation as an example, he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And sometimes we think that it does. And that's not a new tendency. This desire to think that more is better, it's more than 2,000 years old. We're just the latest in a long line of people who got fooled into thinking that more was better. And we've ignored this beautiful principle that sometimes less can be more. And we, we need, you deserve, you owe it to yourself to sit back one day and look at your life as a whole. Even that non-spiritual topic like money and, how you, and all your stuff and think, what really matters in my life? And am I actually making decisions that point to, that invest in those things that truly matter? Or am I just like everybody else chasing more, thinking that's going to fill up my life and fill up my heart? And as much as we know that more isn't always more, and that less can be more, and as much as we know that your life isn't made up by your stuff, uh, we struggle with that. And if you've, but, but for those of you, how many of you have ever been to a developing nation? on a mission trip or work or something like that? Nobody? Oh, come on, let's, anybody, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, three of you, great, okay. You guys got to travel more, all right, okay? We, maybe that's, we need to do some mission trips around here. We need to get out of here, uh, because here's, let me, okay, for those of three of you that understand this, the rest of you, I know there's more than three, but for the rest of us, let me, th- let me tell you what's going to happen if you go to a developing nation. The first day you get there, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be overwhelmed with a shock of how little people have in developing nations sometimes. You're going to see dirt floors. You're going to see kids with one set of clothes. Or you might be seeing kids with no clothes. And you're just going to be like, well, that's a bare rear end running around there. And, and, and everybody acts like, no, you don't notice. But that's all you see is that rare bare kid. Because if, by the way, my kid likes to be in that particular nude state. If he came running down the aisle right now, I think a few of you would notice. But in a developing nation, four-year-old comes running by naked. Nobody seems to pay much attention to it. Why? Because it's somewhat normal. And you'll see them with no shoes, some with worn-out shoes. You might see their, their clothes are, are dirty. You might just think they have absolutely nothing, and it will break your heart, and you will think that you need to go home, empty your bank account, and send it here because they need more. Because you can't imagine them living their lives without all of the necessities like not dirt floors, and running water, and regular medical supplies, and food, and it will, it will bother you. And then after you're there a few days and the shock kind of settles in, you will start to notice not what they don't have, but you will start to notice what they do. And you will see these people that are smiling, and they are happy, and they are joyful. And you will see kids that will go outside, and the only toy they have is some beat-up, ratty, old, taped-up, soccer ball and they will play with it for 12 hours a day and they will never get bored and they won't be sick of it and they won't come in and go can I have the iPad now and they there's none of that they're just glad that they got a ball to kick with their friends and they will play and they will run and then if you are on like a mission trip and you get to go to a worship service with those people their worship services make ours look like a church full of dead people because they get so rowdy And you'll start to think, they have nothing, and yet they worship God like they have everything. And it will not bother you so much as it will just confuse you. 
Because your life has always been about more is better. And you're in the middle of a setting that challenges that by, to its very, very core. And you'll have to rethink your life a little bit. And you'll start making promises like, when I go home, things are going to be different. When I go home, I'm going to start cleaning out stuff, and I'm going to simplify, and I'm going to, I'm going to change the way I live. Because if you don't need this stuff to be happy, why have I been living that way? And you'll go home, and you'll get one closet cleaned out, and a week will go by, and you'll kind of start to forget, and you'll get right back in that rat race of more is better. That's what happens when you go to one of those nations. For that brief moment, you are gifted that beautiful vision that less can sometimes be more and that more is not really all that you need. And so what you and I have to do is we got to figure out what is really better. What are you really chasing in your life? Because better is one handful with quiet, with tranquility, with peace than two handfuls of constantly chasing after the wind. Better is one hand and a solid relationship with my kids than two hands full and me always working so much that I don't even know who my kids are anymore. Better is one hand and a deep growing relationship with my wife than two hands full and bitterness that grows because we never get to spend any time together. Better is one handful and good quality friendships than two hands full and having absolutely no spiritual relationships in our life. Better is one handful and time and freedom and, and flexibility to serve God and pursue his will for my life than two handfuls and never knowing if you're doing God's will because you're only thinking about you and what you want and how you need more. Better is one sometimes than two. And that challenges what we've always thought. And so you owe it to yourself this week. And I challenge you to not forget this. To not act like you're going home from church camp all excited until you turn on the TV and watch the football game today and, and forget about everything else. I challenge you to go home and actually think about your life and ask yourself, what is better? Is more better? Or does sometimes that second hand cost just too much? And maybe, just maybe, despite all you've been taught, all you've ever believed, maybe less can actually be more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this unusual lesson that goes in the face of everything we've kind of believed and, and thought our whole lives. We, we kind of believe that more is, more is more. But sometimes simplicity provides us with freedom and the flexibility to, to chase what really matters, our friendships and our families. It, it gives us time to invest in our, our kids, so that they, at the end of their life, they, or at the end of our lives, we can leave this world knowing that they aren't just chasing more stuff, but they're actually chasing you and that their eternities are secure because we taught them about faith and Jesus and the salvation that comes in him rather than spending all our time trying to have more nicer things. I pray that we would be people who are gifted with clarity, clarity, clarity to see that more is just chasing after wind, and we'll never catch it. Enough is, is it's, we'll never get that moment where we feel enough. And I just thank you for the wisdom that Solomon had to write these words down so many thousands of years ago so that we could read them today and have our, our very foundations challenged. Let us understand that more is not always more. Sometimes more is too costly, and that there are more important things 
like living out the purpose that you have given us in this place and time, like helping the people that you've put within our reach, like loving those that are around us as you have loved us with a deep, abiding, sacrificial, giving love. I thank you again for this wonderful lesson. I pray that we would take it to heart and not let it fade into the noise of life as we leave this building today. Thank you for all that you give us and thank you for the lessons, especially that less can be more. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.